Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology, consulting, and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. I'm Zena Island, and we are excited to be with you today to have a conversation with our guest experts about the angel and VC space. The word startup has many different meanings in a different context. It can, in the simple vernacular, mean a company who is in, early, in, its, in its early stages. However, investors and others use the word in several different nuanced ways. Today, we discuss, are you venture-backable or non-venture-backable startup or business? We're here with two amazing guest experts, and the first one is Lorene Pendleton. She is a seasoned business development executive and attorney with extensive experience in the legal, technology, and entertainment industries. She is also an active angel investor who invests in and advises women in diverse-led companies. Um, she's also a member of Pipeline Angels and a partner in Portfolio. She is a New York chair at Tiger 21, the premier peer-to-peer -peer membership network for ultra-high net worth individuals in the United States, Canada, and United Kingdom. She's a frequent speaker, and she's also been featured in so many um, numerous media outlets, um, including um, being named by Marine Claire as one of the most 50 uh, most 50 connected women in America. Our second guest is Sydney Thomas, the investment associate and head of operation at Precursor Ventures. She is also the co-founder of the Women of Color in VC Network, an advisor to Skydeck, the Berkeley Accelerator Program, and VC in residence at Pipeline Angels. Prior to joining Precursor, Sydney gained experience working in technology startups in business development and product marketing. Prior to her role in tech, she managed public-private partnerships for the New York government, Department of Education, and Office of Financial Empowerment. So I am excited about today's show, and I want to welcome both of you, Lorraine and Sydney. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, excited to be here. So as Zena mentioned, today we're going to talk about the definition of startup as we use it in the context of this podcast, this show. In, in this case, a venture-backable versus non-venture-backable business. And before we do that, we just want to cover a few foundations. First, of course, people use the word startup to mean any new business. And that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to get much more specific. Additionally, we want to mention that if you are a venture-backable startup, in this case, to be eligible to receive money from angels and VCs, it doesn't mean that that type of company is any better or worse than any other, simply that this is what the certain types 
of company that certain types of investors look for. We're going to talk about that. So I just want to be clear that there's no value judgments here. Next, it's important that we understand that when we're talking about a venture-backable versus non-venture-backable startup, we're going to get used to saying that today, ladies, (laughs) Um, that we're talking about what certain kinds of people are willing to invest in, quick growth, fast exit. But there are, as we've talked about on other shows, a lot of people investing in different types of things. And um, as we've said before, everyone's an investor, so we're going to talk about that a little bit too. And then finally, just because someone, and this is kind of... um, uh, leading from the last the last point, but because somebody isn't eligible for VC or angel funding doesn't mean that they're not eligible for other types of funding. In general, there are a lot of types of different money out there, and people can access it in different ways. And the final thing that we want to just kind of say in our introduction is that people and entrepreneurs should really consider carefully if they want to play in this space, right? There are some very, very good reasons why quite a few entrepreneurs choose not to go after VC or angel money, and we'll talk about some of those. And of course, we want to be really transparent that all of us today are here and are particularly playing in this space because we want to change the current angel and VC model to be accessible to all people again, who want to access it. Um, We do know that access is a big deal in this space. And historically, the people who've received angel and VC funding was a very narrow group of people, generally cisgendered, straight white men who went to certain schools and lived in certain parts of the country. And that's changing, and we want to be part of that change. And we believe that if you want to access angel and VC funding, and each entrepreneur should be able to do so. So with that, let's dive in. Absolutely. So um, Aurelia mentioned this a little bit, but we're going to start with what to know about the startup ecosystem. And, you know, we get a lot of questions from entrepreneurs about, am I qualified for the startup ecosystem? So can we talk a little bit about the difference between a venture backable versus a non-venture backable business? Sure, I'll jump in. It's Lorene. I think um, when we say venture-backable business versus being a non-venture-backable business. I think really it's a scalable business versus more of a lifestyle business. And so for those who don't know what a scalable business or scalable company is, it's basically, you know, fast, high-growth, fast-growth company. Um, you, you will increase um, your profit margins or maintain your profit margins regardless of how many sales you get. So the, the more sales and the volume that you're, you're getting for your product or services – um, will, you know, it, it's not going to impact your profitability. Um, whereas a lifestyle business, is, it's not necessarily scalable. So I'll give an example. A lot of those businesses tend to be service-oriented businesses. So, um, you know, in order to scale it or to increase your sales, you're going to have to um, bring on additional resources. So, and the profit margins, you know, will likely decrease, um, you know, if you don't bring on those additional resources. So those, those, that's a differentiator. And VCs and angels typically only invest in um, high-growth, scalable businesses. So what do you mean by fast? Or what do you mean by scalable? So let's, get, let's put some numbers around this. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, scalable, I mean, I don't have the exact numbers, but just the definition is as your, as your volume. So, you know, as you get more customers, you know, as you sell more of whatever you're selling, your volume, your, your sales is increasing, 
but your costs aren't necessarily increasing as much. So you think about a technology company, um, once they develop the, the, the technology or say it's a software company, they develop the software, you know, they already kind of have it. You have to maintain that software. You know, whether they have 10, 10 customers or 1,000 customers, you know, the incremental costs are nominal. Um, whereas if you were, you know, if you were running a, you know, um, a bakery and now suddenly, you know, you're getting, you had initially maybe you would get on a weekly basis, you know, $5,000 worth of orders and now suddenly you were written up in the New York Times for, you know, a baking, you know, product you have and now suddenly you have this tremendous volume. You're now getting orders in the volume of $20,000. You know, how are you going to fill those orders? You're going to probably have to hire more people. Um, so so that's that's kind of a difference. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Sydney, do you want to add anything there with regard to venture-backable versus non-venture-backable? Yeah, I would say I think that when I'm talking to entrepreneurs, particularly entrepreneurs of color, a, a big piece of it is like their company might actually be venture-backable, but the way they explain it to me, it does not sound venture-backable. And Kind of digging into that a little more, what I'm saying is that when I get pitches from entrepreneurs of color, specifically women of color, they tend to sell their vision very small. And so they're like, well, you know, I think I can build this like hair care thing for black women in Atlanta. And I'm like, that's so cool. And also totally not venture backable. <laughs> what I'm looking for would venture back was for you to talk about why is this hair care thing that you're selling to women in Atlanta is applicable to women in Seattle and San Francisco and Nigeria and even Singapore. And so what I'm what I mean when I say venture back is that this is a vision that is like worldly, that is has the potential to build hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue and that's just the beginning. I have a quick question about that because you're absolutely right. A lot of um, women of color don't understand the difference between those. But what about those women of color, who, and we're going to stick with your same example, who have a hair care company or something related to hair that is global and it sounds like it possibly could be scalable, but at times, you know, because it is a service-oriented product, because I know that was mentioned um, by Lorraine, can you explain that piece to us, how that could be scalable and not be scalable? I'd say for us, it's all about the margins. I think that if your company is going to be a service industry and you're taking 15% margins, that's just not, that's not, that's not as attractive as a company, a service-backable company that is creating 30, 40, 50% margins. And so it's taking 15% margin in the first year. That's totally cool. As long as you have a path in your head and also make this clear in your deck and in your pitch that long-term, you are, you know how to get those margins up. So I really want to hit on the numbers here. A couple different things. You talked about profit margins, which are really important in this space, right? Lower profit margins versus higher profit margins and knowing exactly what those profit margins look like. You also, or Sydney, I'm not sure if you did or Lorraine did, somebody said we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. So I think we want to be really clear that we're talking about businesses that when we say big, we mean in the millions and tens and hundreds of millions of dollars very quickly 
because as we've also said in the past, we're looking at an exit event within five to eight years or an expected exit event within five to eight years. So I think when, when entrepreneurs are thinking through these things, they need to understand really high growth, short periods of time, that it's scalable, as Lorraine nicely defined, and that's why often, but not always, we're talking in the technology space. And there are ranges of what people are interested in, but I just want to be really, really clear so that if somebody's thinking about, well, do I fit in? They have some really um, bright lines that they can look at and some clear markers. Anybody want to? Um, well, I, I want to jump in in terms of the revenue. I mean, I think definitely, I mean, when you're thinking in the VC space, um, you know, VCs are going to, they want a big addressable. So first of all, you should have a really big addressable market. So, you know, the ability to, to appeal your product and services appealing to a, a wide group of potential customers. So you want to, you know, VCs are going to want to see hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, from my lens as an angel investor, you know, of course I want to see a company that has hundred million dollars plus. But the reality is a lot, I'm more early stage and these companies you know, I look at how big the market is. So, you know, if the addressable market is half a billion dollars, you know, the reality is how, how what is that, what do I think that entrepreneur, how much of that pie can that entrepreneur get? And actually, I would be happy if my, if a company I invested in early stage, say, you know, they were making $100,000 when I invested in them, they were able to grow their business to $30 million, $40 million, $50 million, and they had an exit, I'm fine with that as an angel investor, actually, and I will probably, you know, get a 10x, depending on what it is, 10x return or whatever. That that's that's fine. So, um, you know, not all businesses are, you know, are created equal. They're not going to go 100 million plus. So, you know, and there's a lot of angels who would be happy with a company that's making 30, 40, 50 million in revenue, and now they're an acquisition target. So I just want to mention that. But Sydney may want to chime in in terms of since she's on the VC side, you know, her, what she looks at is probably different from my, my view. I think that, I think that that is right, that there's um, definitely some companies that we look to that aren't going to get to like the hundred millions of, well, actually in the VC, actually, no, that's not true. <laughs> like actually let, I was trying to say that we're somewhere, but you're totally right that we're not. And, for us, I think making $30, $40 million and getting acquired is like a really subpar experience. And I think that it's because of the types of terms that we're investing on. Like we're investing as an equity owner of your company. And so if you're going to get a $30 million exit and we own 1% of the company, because by at that point we'll have been diluted because you might be like a Series A, Series B company at that point then we're going to not get a meaningful return on our fund economics. Um, so that's a little bit of the background as to why it's important to us to invest in really large companies is because at the end of the day, we are beholden to our limited partners, which are the investors in our fund. And so these are people who we've promised that will make them three, four, ten times richer than when they started by investing in us. And if, if we don't invest in companies that could do that, then – we're letting them down. Lorraine, I'm really glad you backed us up and mentioned two really important facts. Number one, what angels look for versus what VCs look for is distinctive, right? Because we're investing at different stages in a company's growth. Mm -hmm. right. And so, right, I didn't want to be suggesting that 
a company has to be making in the hundreds of millions of dollars right now, but rather when we are looking at investing in a company, as you nicely pointed out, what we're looking at is potential or where it could go. So it has to have a large market. And then Sydney mentioned something really important um, also in the definition of venture backable, which is we are definitely looking for some kind of X return, right? So whereas um, an investor in, let's say, a 401k is looking for a percentage return, let's say 10%, when we're looking at 3x, 5x, 8x or more of a return, that means if we put in $1,000, we're looking for $3,000 back or $10,000 back. And obviously, we're talking much larger numbers than that, but just so people understand what we're talking about. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I do want to say, I mean, angels want to get a 10x, a 20x, 30x return. I just think our bar is a bit lower in terms of the revenue that a company, you know, depending on what type of industry it is, you know, they can be an acquisition target for a bigger kind of a strategic partner. So, you know, a 20 million, 30 million can be an acquisition target and we'll be okay with that type of exit. Um, the other thing about it, um, Sydney mentioned dilution, um, you know, in all the deals that I've been in, um, you know, I have an anti-dilution um, provision um, in, in, in my agreements. And basically, you know, the angels are kind of the first money in with the exception of friends and family and, and entrepreneurs bootstrapping, but, you know, kind of outside capital, um, we're, we're kind of the first ones in. So, you know, early stage, um, a lot higher risk. And then also, you know, as the company grows, they're going to start going, turning to VCs. And, you know, if we don't have anti-dilution, what we put in, our, our, our ownership in that company will be diluted. So I always have anti-dilution. Um, and that means actually when they're round, raising another round, I have to do follow-on investing um, to retain uh, my my um, ownership um, percentages. So that that's an important thing to note um, as well. At what point would a VC step in? It depends. I mean, I think, um, I mean, I'm thinking about companies that I've invested in, you know, um, they've come in when sales have hit a certain amount. Um, they've come in when they have market, certain level of market penetration. Um, so if there's a product, it's a product, they're in, you know, thousands of stores versus being in, you know, 100 stores or 200 stores, they've come in and, um, you know, invested in companies. Or, you know, I'm thinking of a, a company I invested in is more of a, it's a B2B play. Um, you know, they uh, were able to get VC money um, once they had a certain amount of uh, customers. So, you know, they definitely had revenue. Um, it wasn't so much the revenue um, dollars. I mean, that was a part of it. Of course, they, they, they hit the, you know, million-plus mark. But the type of uh, customers they had, very big clients. Um, and, and, you know, now they're at 30-plus clients, and they were able to go on and get VC money. So it, it's really, it really depends. And it also depends on the industry, um, you know, kind of the industry and the industry norms. So let's just summarize this part because I think it's really important. Um, so we talked about the type of growth. And, and by the way, I've talked to a lot of companies who come to me and say, hey, I'm looking for angel funding. And they're like, uh, or they come to me and they say that they're, that they're looking for angel funding. And hey, I'm going to make 3x, you know, return over the course of two years. That is great, a great business model. Generally speaking, it's not angel an angel would not be interested in those kinds of numbers, right? So, so again, we're not saying it's a good or bad thing. It's just understanding where we're at. So what we learned today is to be a venture-backable business, you've got to be 
addressing a problem or a challenge of a really large market. Um, and the company itself has to be scalable. So because both angels and VCs are looking for large returns, large dollar amounts, and, you know, five to eight X um, returns on their investment. And they're looking for an exit event within five to eight years. So all of those dynamics may or may not be for you. I know I was talking to an entrepreneur last week that said, yeah, I'm not sure I'm ready to get out of my business that soon. And so just some things to think about as you're considering if you're a venture backable business and if this is the right space for you. So thanks for Aurelia for, you know, summarizing that for us. Um, so let's talk about the corporate structure and how this influences whether or not you're a venture backable startup, um, as we've been defining the term. So the LLC versus C Corp versus S Corp. I mean, you know, can you explain a little bit about this? The, in order for you to go out and raise money from outside investors, angels, or VCs, you can't have a corporate structure of an LLC um, for a variety of reasons, just the way it's structured and tax reasons as well. Um, you have to be incorporated or be a corporation, and you need to be a C Corp in order to, um, you know, raise outside funding or get investors, angels, or VCs. Let's um, let's just really quickly talk about um, the fact that there are other kinds of funding out there, right? So um, obviously we're talking about venture-backable businesses today, but those who are listening to this might be thinking to themselves, okay, I'm not venture-backable. Um, let's just list a couple things outside the angel and VC ecosystem that are accessible for them to get funding. Yeah, so um, I think... You know, if you look at the different stages, I mean, obviously, bootstrapping, you know, I think any investor is going to want to see before they invest um, and say, you know, if you're, if you're at a beginning stages of your company, you know, what are you putting into the company? So to the extent you have funding um, or any, of, any money to put to launch your business, that's going to be really important that you've bootstrapped it. So you've taken on, you know, the financial risk in launching your company. Then you can go reach out to friends and family. Um, you know, these are people who know you, and um, you know, they're willing to take a bet on you. What I do want to say is, underrepresented entrepreneurs, so you know, people of color, women. You know, one of the things is they don't really have an extensive network of friends and family. Um, you know, people who can afford to write out a check for twenty-five thousand and not risk like losing that money. So that that can be somewhat difficult for um, people of color. Um, other things are awards and grants. Um, you know, there's a lot of pitch competitions. University companies have pitch competitions. The government, you know, gives out grants. The great thing about that is you don't you don't take any. They won't take any equity, um, and you don't have to repay it. So you won't dilute your equity in your company. And then a big thing right now is equity crowdfunding. Um, that launched in May of 2016. It allows you to uh, raise money um, online using, you know, you know, crowdfunding, and the people who give money don't have to be accredited investors. So it actually level the playing field for you as well as um, potential investors, and you can raise up to, um, I believe, a million dollars annually um, on those platforms. I'd also say, as an example, I don't know if you've had Tara Reid on the show yet, but she is such an inspiration. She built apps without code, completely bootstrapped it, and has now been on the road like with Black and Brown founders and other organizations really sharing out exactly how she did it. 
And she has built a really interesting, like, she has an interesting repertoire of tools that has helped her get to where she is. And that, so she has a list of investors who were particularly helpful to her. There are some investors, like, at the NDVC that are looking for more of a revenue share instead of an equity agreement in companies. And there's also a number of companies that do almost that are kind of like substitutes for banks slash investors they're in this in-between space where they'll also provide you with a pseudo loan as as long as you qualify with like a certain number of metrics i don't know what they are off the top of my head but i think there are there are some really awesome role models who have done this and so doing your research is is really important so, Sydney, we have not yet had Tara on the show, so if you want to make an introduction, I'm sure we'd love to have her. Um, I'll jump in really quickly and just um, refer people to the show that we did with Jenny Casson, where she talks about the different ways to raise money and how you can raise money from non-accredited investors, and particularly how you can do it in different ways. And, of course, there's always debt also as a way to raise money, either SBA loans or equity crowdfunding that might – I'm sorry, not equity – crowdfunding that might be debt-related as opposed to equity-related – um, and then, you know, just other ways that you can raise money without taking out or giving up some of your equity. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of entre- entrepreneurs be really creative, I think, as they're looking to approach this whole funding landscape. So let's just take a step back. We talked a little bit about um, what angels are looking for, what VCs are looking for. Uh, but again, assuming a startup wants to access angel and VC funding, let's talk a little bit about practical Uh, ways that they can start, how they can start to know the difference and uh, identify their pathway uh, to access angel or VC funding? Well, I would say the first thing is to really kind of do a gut check on your company. So at the beginning, we talked about, um, you know, investable type of companies for angels and VCs versus non-investable. So I think you need to take a a hard look at and look at, you know, is your company – you know, this type of investable company, um, scalable, high growth, and all of that. Um, so once you, you said, you know, kind of decision tree, yes, my company is all those things, you need to really take a look at, you know, how big is your market? Are you, um, what type of revenues are you generating? Um, your product and services, like just, you know, is this something that people are going to want to buy? Your team, um, that's really important for investors. They want to see that you have domain expertise expertise. If you don't, you have a great advisory board that has that expertise in that industry that you're in, um, that your team can execute on this idea really well. Also, analyze your competition. You know, very few companies don't have any competition. It's fine to have competition. Really, what's your differentiator? How are you different from your competitors? Is it price? Is it, you know, quality, et cetera? And then also really take a hard look at your business and financial model. How are you making money um, who pays you, how much, you know, where, what are your financial forecasts, your projections. And then also, which is really important, is your exit strategy. That's the only way really how investors make money. Once they invest in you, there has to be some type of exit strategy. So you're acquired or IPO, which is very rare. So just kind of go through all those things because these are going to be the things that angels and VCs are going to look for and gonna, will ask you about when looking to invest in your company. Yeah, and I guess also specifically, what types of resources like angel groups or oh, startup okay. groups, um, you know, things like tech stars, accelerators, how does that play into accelerating or getting the entrepreneurs ready 
for pitch events or, you know, just really understanding the language um, as they approach again VC and angel funding? Any resources that you can share? Yeah, no, I mean, there's a ton of accelerator programs that, you know, you, you mentioned Techstars, you know, 500 Startups. These are very competitive. You have to apply, but, you know, these are all really great programs. Um, you know, and I would say just research accelerator programs. What they'll do is they'll take some equity in your company, but you'll be part of their cohort and you'll have access to people in their network, mentors, uh, investors. They usually all end with a demo day where you present to, you know, the tech stars and the 500 startups of the world will have like, you know, 100 plus investors who come and they'll, they're looking for the next hot startup and you could actually, you know, get money from, you know, if they like, if they like your product and service, they like your company, you can actually walk away with, you know, a deal. Uh, so it's a great, it's a great way to get into that whole ecosystem and also, you know, really hone what you're doing, your finance, your business model, your pitch and everything to get you um, investor ready. I think there's a lot of um, places that people can go that aren't super competitive to just get information, right? So if somebody says, yeah, I think, I think I've got a good idea and I think I'm probably a venture-backable business, um, not only is there good resources online, but I know there's different cities that have startup weeks where people can go and just get live um, training, go to workshops, meet people in the ecosystem so they can start getting a sense of who's out there, particularly in their communities, um, and really get some information, start meeting with angel investors, angel groups, just to kind of build their network, right? Because if you're particularly an entrepreneur like we talked to that is in one of the statistically underrepresented groups, they may not have those networks yet. So how do they even start to access them? And some of those ways is to get involved in some of these communities. Really quick, one thing that I would say, though, is I think that founders, I know that there's a, a little bit of this worry of scarcity for good reason. And so a lot of founders are just excited to digest any advice from anyone everywhere. I would, but I would counsel them to be very, very discerning in who they take advice from and also who they take money from. I think that especially in the early stage, if they are looking to one day get VC funding, if they have an angel investor, if they have some sort of thing that's out of whack on their cap table because they were so excited to get this $25 check from this cousin of theirs. And that cousin asks for like the kitchen sink. Their later stage investors are, might not invest in that company because of the situation that that company was put in because of the money that they took, because of who they took money from. And I think on the same point, I would say that, is applicable for advice as well. Just because this person is speaking at the Startup Grind weekend, just because you're listening to this podcast, like we are definitely in this space so we know more, but also be really thoughtful about who you're listening to and who you're getting feedback from. Are these people folks who have invested in companies that you look up to? Are they folks who other founders, when you talk to them, really speak highly of them? Just really being diligent about who you're taking money from and also who you're taking advice from is so important. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point too. And, you know, the interesting thing, you know, I've, I've invested in three companies so far and every deal has been different. 
So I think even when you do have a checklist or an approach, you, you really have to look at the situation, look at the entrepreneur, look at the terms and conditions of that investment uh, and make decisions that way. So I, I appreciate you bringing that point up, Sydney. Yeah. So one other key action step for uh, investors, I'm sorry, for entrepreneurs when they're looking at investment is really learning to pitch. And I think we had uh, some conversation around understanding the language a little bit earlier. So in order to get funding, whether it's from angels or VCs, entrepreneurs do need to learn the talk, right? We, we talk about that a lot. And I think we talked about on an earlier show, um, you know, just the difference between questions that are asked to potentially female entrepreneurs versus male entrepreneurs. Uh, can you guys share a little bit on the standards for what pitches should look like and what entrepreneurs should be ready for? I would say for us, I think for who, when we talk to entrepreneurs, we are definitely, we are never, we never want to be the expert in the room. And what I say by that is, what, I'm, what I mean when I say that is, when we talk to entrepreneurs, we want you to know your business like front, back, around the corner, like this is your only full-time job. And so for some people it isn't yet, and that's totally fine, but you should talk about your business as if it is. And so an example of that is a lot of times we want to understand like, okay, what is the market for this? Who is the consumer for this? Like, do people really want to buy this? And we want you to be able to respond back to us and say, like, actually, yes, I have personally surveyed every single person who has purchased this app, this service, this product, or I have surveyed all of them, and I know that this is exactly who they are, this is their demographic, and this is why this is so important to them and why no other company on the market has this for them. And given that, I can extrapolate that I'm going to be able to have this many people um, by next year. And so we know a lot of those things are assumptions, especially extrapolation, but we want you to have thought about exactly why your consumer loves you. Yeah, no, I would add, um, you know, I think from a resource standpoint, you should definitely look at um, pitch templates, and there's a lot of actually VCs who actually have like you know, pitch deck templates. But I mean, I think a couple of main things. You, just to piggyback on what Sydney was saying, you know, definitely you, you need to be the expert in the room. You know, you should know you know your business better than anyone else in that room, or you know, with the exception of your team members. So really, what's your what's your company pur- purpose? Like, you know, why are you here? Why is this company in existence? And defining what that problem is so your company is solving some type of problem, some pain point. So, so what is that problem? So I need to know what that problem is. What's your solution? You know, how are you, what you're, go, how you're, what you're doing, how is that, you know, going to solve that problem and, and, and what makes your company valuable for people to go out and, and buy your product? The other thing is, like, why now? You know, there's a lot of companies that have, they, their timing was off. They started too soon before there was a product market fit. So you need to really demonstrate, you know, what, what's going on in terms of trends and why, you know, why why is your company around now? We talked about the market size has to be a, a large market size, addressable market. Should have You should look at your, com- your competitors and, you know, discuss their competitors, you know, talk about your product. Um, and then your business model is really important, how you're going to make money. Um, 
and then financial projections, and then also you should definitely highlight the team. You know, who are the key team members and what do they bring to the table um, and why are they going to be able to execute on, you know, if, if someone writes you out a check, an angel or VC, you know, you have to give them confidence that they're, you're going to be able to execute. I have a quick question. So when, and I'm going to stick with the hair example because I actually have one in mind. Um, when a young lady got up to pitch about her hair her hair product, it wasn't a hair product, it was actually, um, it was a tech-enabled um, service. And she actually went on to win the 100000 However, she was pitching to three guys. Um, two of them were white. The other one was uh, an African-American male. And the two white guys did not understand the model because we were talking about black hair, for, for example. And But the African-American guy did. So he had to explain to the other two, you know, why why this was important, even though she had already explained it. So what do you do in a situation where you have all these pieces together, but you're pitching to to, a, to, to people or investors who may not understand why you're solving the problem? That's a good question. Yeah, and, and, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a common issue amongst women entrepreneurs and also, you know, underrepresented entrepreneurs. So I think really... I would say as a first step is to try to find investors who are going to get it. Um, so fortunately, of the investors she was pitching, there was you know an African American investor who understood the market, um, and he was able to explain it to these other investors. So I mean, I think really you know try to find angels, try to find um, VC firms that invest in these markets, or you know have a portfolio of 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 of, on, of entrepreneurs who are either women or diverse. You know, that's, that, that's really important, and I'm happy to say, I mean, I've been angel investing for almost six years now, and I just see, I mean, there's still a lot of um, issues in terms of the level of funding for diverse entrepreneurs and women. It's still, you know, a very unlevel playing field. However, there are a lot of people who are now stepping up and saying, you know, we are going to, you know, create funds. I mean, Sydney is a prime example of Precursor Ventures, you know, um, founded by African-American um, gentlemen, you know, people are stepping up and saying, we're going to start our own funds. And women are stepping up and saying, we're going to start our funds. We have a lot of angel groups focused on women or diverse entrepreneurs. So um, I would say seek out those, go to the investors who are a bit more friendly or who, who are, have more understanding of what you're trying to do. I mean, eventually you're going to have to go beyond that. But I say, you know, at least go, go to that. Those are more friendly um, investors in terms of what you're trying to do. Zena, I'm so glad you brought that up because I know I've been in pitches. I think, Christina, you probably have too, where we're looking at um, all sorts of different industries that we have no idea about, right? Like I've been in pitches where I'm like, I have no idea about this industry. And so for entrepreneurs who know they've got that hurdle, part of the pitch is to get over that hurdle first, right? Is to do the education at the front end. Um, so in my world where we are doing marketing, particularly online marketing, we know if you're in a market where people are, maybe you're offering something that hasn't ever been offered to the market before, the first, the very first thing you're doing is education mm -hmm. for potential markets. So Sydney, I'm um, sorry, Lorraine, I'm really glad that you brought up that there are more people out there, there's more diversity, and you may not always be able to pitch to folks who understand the market. So just know that and get ready to do some education on the front end. Yeah, and I think it goes back to, um, I think, Sydney and Lorene, you both mentioned knowing your business and understanding the trends. And this is the opportunity for entrepreneurs to tell the story and to really connect with their investors, even if the investor 
doesn't have that shared experience. Um, so I think that's the fun part as an entrepreneur is to really grab the attention of those that may not normally get that. Yeah, so just kind of recapping what Lorraine had said before is in the pitch we we are looking for as investors, definitely you want to understand your market. You want to talk about your numbers. You want to talk about your team. You better explain really really concisely and clearly what the problem is and how you're solving it and why now. Yeah, And sell your business model. That's the other big thing. Mm-hmm. And I have to put my PR hat on <laughs> during this conversation somewhere. So one of my questions is, and it came up um, earlier on one of our podcasts that one of our entrepreneurs said that PR didn't matter. Getting press didn't make a big difference. Um, they told her, really, don't focus on it anymore. Do you think investors care about getting, you know, on, seeing entrepreneurs get press? Does it really matter? I think no, unless you are building kind of, I guess, unless you're building something that they really have no idea what it is. If you're getting PR and that says, that speaks to essentially like customer validation that, wow, we're so grateful that this exists because we'd had no idea like how to do what we were doing before now. I think that's really helpful, but more generally, just like a TechCrunch article is not that exciting for investors to, um, to see on your pitch deck. Okay. I actually, I, I, you know, I mean, I think, I think it depends, you know, um, I think if you're, I mean, I'm thinking about a company that I know has gotten tremendous amount of press, um, has appeared on the Today Show, is in magazines, and she said, you know, because of her exposure, she's actually gotten clients, and she's a B2B play, mm-hmm. and because she, you know, when she was on Today Show, she ended up getting two clients. And so, I mean, I think it depends. I mean, I think it depends on what type of product and service, you know, you're selling. I don't think PR is bad. <laughs> It raises your profile, and you just never know who is um, viewing it, whether it's a magazine article or, you know, you're on television or you're on a radio show or whatever. So, um, you know, it depends. I mean, I don't think that's going to be – I mean, I don't think an investor is going to say how PR-worthy is this. I don't think that's going to be a factor in the investment decision, and that's not really a factor. Um, But it certainly – I don't think it, it hurts at all. And I think that's a good point, too, because the other way to get funding is actually to have clients and customers, right? And so, you know, I know for for me, I've seen press releases and articles on companies that are coming out, and I've actually purchased their products because of it. So I think the awareness, the traction, and visibility is critical. Definitely. And I think Mm -hmm. there should be a, you know, as your marketing strategy, there should be a PR angle to it uh, for your company. Say you do get funding or, you know, where you get funding – you know, think about you're going to have some type of marketing strategy, and PR is a is a part of that. So, yeah, I think my I caution though that because in these companies, a lot of times when they're looking for angel investment, what they're looking for, especially precursor, it's like two people being really thoughtful about how much time you put into PR is important because every hour that you put into PR is an hour that you aren't spending building the, you know, front end of your, I don't know, if you're coding, that's one hour that you're not spending coding to build out your product. So just being really thoughtful about how you're spending your time, because I think the PR machine can become a full-time job. Mm -hmm. That's a good point as well. 
Well, this has been a great discussion, Lorene and Sydney. We really thank you for participating. Um, Lorene, let's start with you. Where can people find you? Sure. So I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me, Lorene Pendleton, L-O-R-I-N-E, Pendleton, P-E-N-D-L-E-T-O-N. Also on Twitter, at Lorene Pendleton. And on Instagram, at Lorene NYC 91. Great. And my email, sorry, my email address is Lorene at LorenePendleton.com. Great. Thank you. And Sydney, on your end? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at SydneyPage10. And you can find Precursor on our website, which so is www.precursorvc.com. And those are usually the best two places to find me. I'm on Twitter a ridiculous amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> I do follow you. <laughs> That's great. So I'm going to just try and summarize all that we talked about today. It was a great conversation. Um, and based on the conversation, we're reminded that the funding landscape is actually really, really big. And our entrepreneurs have... Op options. They have uh, bootstrapping, friends and family. Uh, I think, Lorraine, you mentioned awards and grants, equity crowdfunding, uh, debt, revenue share versus equity, um, loans from the bank and SBA. And so when thinking through uh, for our entrepreneurs whether or not you're a venture-backable business, a few things that we're reminded of is, one, be discerning about who you take advice from and or who you take funding from. Uh, Sydney reminded us not to sell our vision small or your vision small. Know your business. Be the expert. Ask yourself, am I scalable? Do I have opportunity for high growth? Understand your addressable market. Um, what, what wide group of potential customers do you have? What problem are you solving? Ask yourself, can I maintain or increase profit? Can I generate millions of dollars? Do I have the right or strong advisory board? And can I exit? Understand how your corporate structure may impact your ability to be a venture-backable business. Typically, we look for C-corporations. And understand the terms of investment. Angels look for potential, typically, in our the first end, so that's higher risk for them. And Lorene mentioned that angels may have anti-dilution clauses, where VCs are looking for higher returns based on the terms of investment. So understand what stage you're in. Find investors who align with your mission. And when you're pitching, make sure that you're selling your story, know your, knowing your business, talking about the trends, asking why now, selling your business model. And we are always reminded that marketing and PR can be part of your solution Ooh. as well. <laughs> thank, you. Uh, thank you for listening today. Don't miss an upcoming episode of Get Found, Get Funded. <laughs>